Recently, recently, my wife Kate and I have got into a series on Netflix all about chess. And I'll be honest with you, I've never been interested in chess. I'm aware that it's a game. I'm aware that it exists. I know I'm not very good at it. I, I know that it's made up of black and white squares on a board and roughly what each piece does. Every now and then, I might partake in one of those outdoor chess games with the massive pieces. So who doesn't like that? And, um, but other than that, it doesn't occupy much of my life. However, since watching this series, I'm now reasonably convinced that I want to be a chess grandmaster. It turns out, everyone, that chess is the coolest game ever. And it's, it's got me into a sort of internet rabbit hole where I've found myself over the last few days Googling chess masters and like watching YouTube videos on chess moves that I don't even remotely understand. Chess is the best. But one of the things that, um, that becomes obvious quite quickly in this Netflix series is that the best chess players see the chessboard, the pieces themselves, in a different way to the rest of us. Unless, of course, you're sitting here and you are a chess grandmaster or online, in which case you're very welcome. But most of us don't see the board in the same way. And I was reading an article recently about some research done by a, name called, by a man called Adrian de Groot. And Adrian basically wanted to figure out what separates just good chess players from world-class chess players. And so he got a bunch of chess grandma grandmasters, the best in the world, into a room, and he got them to watch footage of lots of different chess games. And he asked them to do something really simple. He said, as you watch these videos, just think out loud. Just, just let me know what you're thinking. Let me know what your moves would have been. And the article said this. What Adrian de Groot uncovered was an even bigger surprise than others had found. For the most part, the chess experts didn't look more moves ahead, at least not at first. They didn't even consider more possible moves. They tended to see the right moves, and they tended to see them almost right away. It was as if the chess experts weren't thinking so much as reacting. When the group listened to their verbal reports, he noticed that they described their thoughts in different language than less experienced players. They talked about configurations of pieces like pawn structures and immediately noticed things that were out of sorts, like exposed rooks. They weren't seeing the board as 32 pieces. They were seeing it as chunks of pieces and systems of tension. Grandmasters literally see a different board. You know, in other words, the, well, what Groot's saying is that the greatest chess players aren't the greatest because they have particularly good equipment. They're not the greatest because they've got slightly better chess pieces. They're not even necessarily smarter than other chess players. The greatest chess players are great because they see the game in a completely different way. And as we come in to um, land our series on Jesus calling, what I want to suggest today is that Jesus invites Peter and invites us to do the same. To see our lives, the world around us, in a completely different way. This isn't just for Simon Peter, as we'll come to see, but the invitation for every single person that would follow after Jesus. You know, Johnny mentioned last week that Peter, Simon Peter had this moment of seeing Jesus in a new way. Of beginning to see Jesus for who he was, the Messiah, the Holy One. And it's as we see Jesus for who he is that we can't help but have his eyes Kingdom eyes for our lives and the things in them. You know, hopefully this isn't news to anyone. But following Jesus doesn't necessarily mean that you're going to have a career change. 
It doesn't necessarily, well, it, it, it definitely doesn't mean leaving your families. It doesn't mean getting out of those communities. It doesn't mean that you don't still have to go to the supermarket and do the laundry and do the washing up, sadly. <laughs> Being a Christian doesn't always, it doesn't always mean doing different things, but seeing the things we do differently. And over the past three weeks, we've been looking at paradigm shifts, haven't we? Paradigm shifts that, as we've gone through this story, have been happening in the life of Simon, and paradigm shifts that we're also called to make. You know, a couple of weeks ago, Johnny looked at the paradigm shift from scarcity to abundance. This is a paradigm shift about the kingdom, isn't it? Everything that we've just been praying into, compassion and hope. This is a paradigm shift about the nature of the kingdom, Last week, Johnny looked at the paradigm shift from master to lord. This is about Jesus, the nature of the king. And today, we're going to look at the nature of discipleship. Are you ready? Excellent. Let's go. So let's go into our passage. Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything, and followed him. You know, we, we know what's happened, haven't we, leading up to this. A miracle has occurred. There's been this enormous catch of fish, and Simon realizes that this has only happened because of Jesus. And so he has the response that all of us should have, which is to fall at Jesus' knees. And in the context of Jesus' goodness and his holiness, Simon confronts his own sin and brokenness, even saying to Jesus, get away from me, depart from me, I'm a sinful man. But Jesus, as we see today, doesn't leave, does he? But you can imagine. I want, I, want, I want you to imagine now Jesus doing this to you as well. Simon's told him to depart, but instead, it's like he takes him from the hands, isn't it, and lifts him up and looks him in the eyes and says, don't be afraid. There's work for you to do. I'm calling you into this adventure. I'm calling you into this mission. I'm calling you, Simon Peter, to follow me. And it's interesting, isn't it, the language that... Um, Jesus does this in. Do you notice that he doesn't say to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you're going to be a religious expert. God forbid, eh? He doesn't say, don't be afraid, Simon. From now on, you'll be a professional Christian. Or don't be afraid, Simon. From now on, you won't have to work anymore. No. He says, don't be afraid, Simon. From now on, you will fish for people. He uses fishing language. And this is key because what Jesus isn't doing in this moment is offering Simon a new career. He's not offering Simon a new job. He's offering him something so much deeper and more expansive. He's saying to Simon, you're going to have a completely new calling. That yes, you're going to still be a fisherman, but from this point on, Simon, you're going to be a completely different kind of fisherman. You're going to be a fisherman of the kingdom. Your job, first and foremost, is going to be about bringing God and people together. And this is a paradigm-shifting moment for him. You can imagine it, can't you? Up to this point, Simon's life has been constrained by the job he was doing, constrained to this Sea of Galilee, to the Sea of Gennesaret, to his local town, to the 9 to 5, or rather 12 a.m. to 3 a.m. fishing slog at night. And in this moment, in this moment of Jesus calling him, he commissions him into a life that is so much bigger so much more expansive, so much beyond, more beyond what anything that Simon could have imagined or engineered or contrived for himself. This would be a life of following Jesus, of learning what it is to have life in all its fullness, to do the work 
that he was destined and designed, that we are destined and designed to do, to live a life in relationship with God and to build his kingdom. You could say that Peter goes from a man constrained, constrained by his own imagination, constrained by his own vision, to a man commissioned by Jesus, commissioned to be a part of what Jesus is doing. The N.T. Wright Wright theologian, let me try again. The theologian, folks, N.T. Wright, puts it like this. Jesus wants to make the point that what has just happened with the catch of fish will now happen with people. He wants to make that point to Simon, but he wants to make it to us as the reader. And so I just really briefly today want to just look back as we come to the end of the series, just look back at a couple of moments in the story that we've already been through, through, this con- through the context of this paradigm shift, through the context of us being a people commissioned by Jesus, called into this life of new vision, of new sight, called to be fishers of people. And firstly, I want to look at the boat. So if you've got your Bible in front of you, open it up again. We're going to go to verse 2. I'm going to look at verse 2 and 3. It says this. He, that's Jesus, saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who had gone to wash their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from the shore. At the beginning of lockdown, um, I began to meet and uh, pray with a couple of friends. And I think it's fair to say these friends uh, were very new to church, And one of them in particular wouldn't have called himself a Christian at all. Um, But we chatted and began to pray together, um, and he was up for exploring. And as the weeks went on, we met every week, mostly on Zoom, as is the new normal, folks, isn't it? But we met every week, and um, and as 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 we continued meeting, we started praying together. And this person in particular started praying in his everyday life. It started simple. It started with praying the Lord's Prayer at 12 o'clock. But soon enough, he began um, believing that God might be interested in the other parts of his life. Maybe Jesus is interested in me when I'm driving. Maybe he's interested in my work. Maybe he's interested in my marriage. And so he began to pray simple prayers, inviting God into that stuff. And you know what? As he did this, he noticed things change. He noticed things change. Dreams that he had had that that were plagued by um, torment and difficulty became dreams um, of compassion and redemption. Literally, dreams that he had were transformed. He noticed things changing in his marriage as he brought Jesus into that. He felt himself becoming more patient with others, more loving to those around him. He started to believe that just maybe God was speaking to him as well. This sense of God in his life grew and grew. And just over a month ago, at one of our meetings, through tears of joy and wonder, my friend gave his life to Jesus. How amazing is that? You can nick that as your own lockdown story if you like. Amazing. But why did this happen? It's because my friend was realizing bit by bit by bit that Jesus wasn't waiting for him to be perfect. He wasn't waiting for him to have the perfect life. He wasn't waiting for him to have the right job. Or I really want you to hear this. Or even be in the right mood. He was ready to move into his neighborhood, the neighborhood of his life. He was ready to put fire down on the scattered pieces, as Johnny said, of his life. And this is what I want us to see happening as we look again at verses 2 and 3. I want you to notice something. That when Jesus asks to use Simon's boat, 
What he doesn't say is, Simon, I want you to have a better boat or a bigger boat or a more fashionable boat. He's not waiting for Simon to have a different kind of boat. He's waiting for Simon just to let him into what he already has. To let him into the boat that he already has. And this is true of us as well. So many of us don't believe that God can work in our lives because we've discounted the stuff that our lives are made up of. Even as I've been speaking, some of you honestly have already discounted yourselves. You've zoned out for all sorts of different reasons perhaps. But particularly because of this one, because maybe there's just a sense of inadequacy. A sense of how can God really want to fill the ordinary, mundane stuff of my life. He's not looking for a perfect life. I really want you to hear this. He's not even looking for a full life or a busy life. He's looking for a surrendered life. And this is what we see in Simon. Simon shows us that Jesus can do more with the simplest, the simplest life surrendered to him than with the most influential, wealthiest life. He can do more with the simplest. You know, I was thinking as I was preparing, this, there are so many stories that I'm going to get a good illustration in here. It's going to hit home. Some of you will begin to cry. Can I commend to you instead the Bible? This book, this story of people, of God choosing insecure, under-equipped, under-qualified, broken people to do his work. It's like God makes the point from the Old Testament all the way into the New that he's not looking for religious professionals. He's just looking for simple people who open their lives up to him. What about a church of them? What about a church of surrendered people? What is your boat at the moment? I don't know what it is. Maybe your, maybe your boat, honestly, in lockdown is just a regular trip to the local supermarket. Maybe that's what's going on for you. I dare you. I dare you to give that to God. I dare you to bring that to God. I dare you to believe what God might want to say to you as you walk around the supermarket, how he might want you to pray, the kind of abundant catch that he might want to bring in the most ordinary of things. Jesus gives Simon his boat. He lets him in to the boat that he has. And what do we see happen? We see a miracle. Secondly, let's look at the next verses. My throat, sorry. Let's look at the next verses. When he had finished speaking, this is verses 3 and 4. When he had finished speaking, 4 and 5, sorry. When Jesus finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, Johnny made this point a few weeks ago. But we see in this moment, Jesus asks Simon to do something that makes absolutely no sense, don't we? We even feel that in his reply, like, Lord, we've been toiling all night. You know, his expectation that anything's going to happen is, is really nil. And yet he started to see something about Jesus, hasn't he? He started to notice something about the person of Jesus that makes him say, but because you say so, I'll let down, um, I'll let down my nets. And what's the result again? Come on, everybody. What's the result? Abundance. Catch a fish, a miracle, the movement of God through him in his life. You know, I just I feel like really simply the, the parallel with this is that like Simon letting down those nets, we can, we can see our lives like this, can't we? We can see our lives like, you know, ugh, Simon, I've toiled all night. For some of us, it's like, God, I know my friends. I know the people I spend my life around. I know my boss. I know my colleagues. I know my local. Like, they're not interested. They're not interested. Why would they be interested in, in this? Surely it's just going to fall on deaf ears. 
Maybe it's more macro than that, honestly. Maybe it's bigger. It's, it's like, in some way, and I know I do this as well, you've absorbed this kind of cultural narrative that, well, the church is in decline, and no one really wants the response to the gospel anymore, and the name of Jesus just doesn't have the same potency that it used to. Lord, I've toiled hard all night. What do you mean let down the nets? Lord, if you could, if you could see the people in my life the way I see them, like, why? How, how can you expect me to believe that you're going to do something? It's not true, is it? It's not true. We've seen that, like, we've seen people, I mean, just one example of Alpha. We've seen people now who are part of this community, never, ever, never been to church, no Christian background, who are now following Jesus, have now found the greatest love of their entire lives, now filled with a whole new purpose because someone invited them. Because instead of saying no for them, someone said, but because you say so, Jesus, I let down my net. I'm going to invite them because you say so. You know, I, um, not long after I first became a Christian, so I've got a dry throat. <clears> throat. Yeah. You can't just grab someone's water, can you, in COVID times? It's like, that would be a big no-no. Everyone would repeat on the live stream, I get the sack. But, um, but when, I, when I first became a Christian, not, after, uh, not long after I first became a Christian, I went um, with the church that I was a part of to a trip to India. Um, and I hadn't been a, a Christian long at all, but um, I decided to go on this trip. And towards the end of the trip, we went to this really rural village in southern India. And um, we, we were told by the pastors that we were with, the local pastors, that this village was largely completely unreached by the message of Jesus. And so we drove for hours and hours and hours, and we, and we got out here, and we arrived. And as is often the way in India, if you've ever been, you know, our, our sort of van pulled up, and everyone crowded around. Must have been just over 100 people in this village crowding around. And we got out, and we did some puppets. Yeah, that's right. I've suffered for the gospel, folks. I have once been a Christian puppeteer in my life. We did puppets, and we played songs, and thank you. And we played... Um, some songs, and I was a bit intimidated by the whole experience. And then this moment happened that I'll never, ever forget. The Indian pastor, the local pastor, turned around to me, and he told me, it's time for you to share the gospel. Look, I was like, I, I'm, I'm not exaggerating. I had barely been, I felt like I'd been a Christian five minutes. I hadn't, I'm just getting to grips with reading the Bible. I didn't have the language. I didn't know how to preach. I didn't have anything prepared. It was going to be through a translator, and I didn't know anything about public speaking, let alone doing public speaking through someone who was going to translate it. And I just, I just looked at the people. I looked out on the people in this village. And I'm like, what difference is it going to make? How are they really going to understand anything that I've got to say? And honestly, I nearly bolted back inside the van. And almost I did that. God just, just took hold of me. I, just rem- I remember it so clearly, and I just decided, shaking with fear. God, I just, I, I, okay, I'll, I'll say something. So I, took, I stood next to the translator, and I took the mic. And I honestly, and this isn't being self-deprecating, I must have preached the most incoherent, nonsensical uh, gospel message you've ever heard in your life. I was so terrified. It didn't even make sense to me, let alone anyone else. And I, and I, I sort of like got a little bit of my story out, but it was completely messy. And, and I, honestly, I finished preaching, and I nearly burst into tears. I wanted the ground to swallow me up. I wanted to get back on the van. I wanted to just get out of there as soon as possible. And then the pastor invited people to respond. The whole village, 100 people, 
came forward to respond to the gospel. I'm not kidding. Someone had to get me out of the van to get me to pray for people. Because I'd already given up. I'd already thought, you know, that's just, I just wanted to cry, like I said. The whole village responded. It's just like this literal example of abundance that I, that I just almost turned down. I just almost like just shrunk and went the other way. And then just like step, I'm, this doesn't happen often, by the way. This is, this is but it was like this real life example of, of Jesus wasn't looking for me to have the right skill or the right rhetoric. He wasn't looking for me to know the language. He was just looking for me to offer any words, just myself. And he just took the rest and did something with it. And it's ruined me. It's like I, can't, I can't now not believe that that's possible. Whatever the context, I can't now not believe that that's possible. Jesus has commissioned us. He's commissioned you. He's commissioned me. And the question I just felt God stirring in me as I was preparing this is, what are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? I don't mean, mean that to sound condemning, but it's like, why, 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 why aren't we stepping into more? Why aren't I? Why aren't I offering God more of my life? Why don't I have more of an expectation for him to take hold of more of my life? You know, our kids don't have this problem at Trinity Kids Church. You know, when they read the stories of Jesus and the kids team tell them, this is for you too, they just believe it. Like no, like, no one's told them that that isn't possible. No one's sowed that kind of inadequacy or doubt in them. So we see kids praying for their parents, and their parents are healed. And we see kids imparting spiritual gifts to adults and having dreams and hearing from God in miraculous ways because no one's taught them that it shouldn't be like this. They just believe, they just take Jesus at his word. Our kids get this. And so I just want to invite us this morning, like, will you give your life to Jesus? I'm not like, would you, would you give every part of it? As Johnny prayed earlier, will you lay out the pieces of your day the pieces of your life and, 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 and let God's fire fall on them. However you feel, however insignificant, however small they feel, God will use them. Just like Simon Peter, just like this simple fisherman, he'll bring him into a life that's so much more expansive than anything he could ever have imagined because with Jesus, everything, everything is possible.